0: Robbie here and welcome to episode number 38 of the coach's journey podcast now late last year I was totally delighted to appear on a podcast called the coach's compass um, invited by Clark Luby and uh, a listener to this show the coach's journey and um, I've, since the very start of the Coach's Journey podcast, on my list of guests, um, some of many of whom have appeared already and some of whom, you know, I've been in conversation with about appearing in the future, I had the idea, well, it would be cool to have somebody interview me sometime. And I know there's lots of episodes that that are about me in different ways, but it's a different thing to be interviewed. Um, And that's why I'm really delighted to be sharing the episode, the conversation I had with Clark on the Coach's Compass last year with you today uh, as episode number 38. So, you know, it's not the same as me interviewing me, but until AI becomes a bit cleverer, um, that's not possible. But what we do get here is somebody who's not only inspired by the Coach's Journey podcast, but also inspired by some of the same people that inspired me. Um, of course, it doesn't end there. It turns out, Clark and I, as well as um, having similarly little amount of hair on our heads, we also uh, you know, shared some strange things in common, like um, studying numbers and theatre um, at, at for, for quite a long time and that kind of thing. So we have a great conversation here. Um, he takes me back using the coach's journey opening question to when I first came across coaching, um, which in some ways is why I asked that question of guests as I talk about, I think, in in this conversation. Um, but from there, we talk through the support structures, the containers that helped me through early coaching challenges, including finding clients and talking about money. I hopefully share the practical tools that can help you to establish the kind of coach you want to be and including... Factoring in the styles of who you admire and and people you aspire to emulate. We get into the importance of Rich Litvin's work to the evolution of coaching and my practice. And I share one of the exercises he taught me that led me to do some of my best work. Um, But we also get into the shifts that happen after your first attempt at being an adult, which is a big part of my journey and how I ended up here. We get into making uh, the process of your work something that you really enjoy. Again, a big part of my journey. We talk about being a player in the game of your business, the point at which coaching businesses start to carry themselves forward, how to stay authentic while being influenced by others, and why it's okay to steal from people, brackets, in certain situations. Um, And we also talk about the best times to break the rules of coaching and indeed the rules of anything for that matter. Um, Before uh, we get into the conversation that Clark and I had. And um, I wanted to let you know about a couple of things. If you're listening to this on the day of release or shortly after, there's still time to join the W free summit this year so if you haven't come across that before um the free summit is is a chance to get easy free access to some of the leading minds in the world of coaching and this year that includes friend of the podcast Jacinta Jimenez um it includes Michael Bunge Stanier um, it includes some people whose work I have heard of but don't know well like Ray Dalio and Amy Edmondson so you do check that out especially if you're starting out on your journey as one of the members of the coaches journey community said to me recently um in the long term getting better at their work is you know one of the surefire things they can they can do now that will help them in their coaching in the long term and the chance to learn on wbex is is really great i went on the free summit a bunch of times when i was starting out um and it's available to you you can sign up now it's, it's just started It started on the 31st of may so um do check that out. And if you use the link that's available wherever you're listening to this or at thecoachesjourney.com slash podcast on the episode page, it's also a way to support, in a just tiny way, the Coaches Journey podcast. So do check out the Wex Free Summit. And, and if you want to sign up, sign up via the links at thecoachesjourney.com slash podcast on the episode 38 or 37 um, episode pages. I also wanted to say now, June, um, is a great time to join the Coaches Journey community. That's because... Um, in the June call on the 21st of June, 5 till 7pm UK time, um, it's open to members uh, at the £20 a month level. So you can join at the £20 a month level, come to that call, find out what it's like. And if you don't like it, just cancel the membership afterwards. For If you don't know already, um, the Coaches Journey community is my way, the best way I've found, and it's also the most flexible and affordable way to work with me, but the best way I've found to support other coaches to thrive um, in their businesses in their coaching and in their lives is to work with me as part of a group if you're going to work with me that's the best way to to, to do it as a coach in my view most of the time i mean that's because there are so many levels of learning open um, and it's also the chance to connect with other people who are who are on that journey in mind of which a big thank you to alex mcintyre alex swallow joey owen ken brewer and neil mckinnon and ruth savile for their ongoing support um, like i say now's a great time to join you can find loads more out um about the coaches journey community at the coachesjourney.com slash community um, and as i say the call on the 21st of june is a great chance to come along find out what it's all about what it's like and and then if you don't like it just cancel and that's the way it's structured it's a great exercise for me in detachment from who's my client and who's not um, you might have noticed this isn't another new, this isn't a new interview for the second month in a row. Um, and that's partly um, because I'm taking a little break from creating new content for the Coach's Journey community, for the Coach's Journey, at, at, you know, broader community, I mean there, um, and for this show. And that's because sometimes we need to do that. We need to take a break, but I wanted to keep sharing content with you and this amazing conversation with Clark is some great content, um, which I really hope will will help other coaches. And also Clark's show has some great other um Interviews on there that you can check out too. Uh, And one of the things I've been working on is 12-minute method book two. So that should be out by the time the July episode comes round. You should be able to get that in all the usual places. So if you want to be the first people to hear about that, you can sign up to my Robbie Swale mailing list at robbyswale.com. Probably the second or third set of people that will hear about it though will be the Coach's Journey mailing list. So do sign up to that um, too if you'd like. And then without further ado I just I hope you get loads out of this conversation that Clark and I had it's it's a really important to be able to you know share to me to be able to share the lessons I've learned with coaches who are also on the journey and the questions that Clark asked um, were were great questions and I think got to some things that I hadn't talked about anywhere else before so I really hope you enjoy this episode um keep keep working on your coaching I'm really glad you're here with us on the journey and um yeah enjoy the show
1: This is episode 5 of The Coach's Compass, a podcast designed for both new and experienced coaches who want to learn from some of the best in the business. My guests will share their reasons for why they got into coaching, their best practices to attract clients, their influences, and most of all, how they make a living at doing what they love, coaching people. My guest today is Robbie Swale, a leadership coach, writer, and the host of The Coach's Journey podcast. In the first decade of his career, Robbie tried on many hats, including almost becoming a professional actor. And in a search to find work that took advantage of his strengths, what he loves, and how he wants to contribute to the world, he found coaching. In this episode, Robbie will talk about working with BetterUp, the world's largest mental health and coaching organization, and how firms like BetterUp can help you to discover coaching frameworks and give you a place to get experience as you build up your own coaching practice. Now, joining BetterUp is not easy. You do need to have a number of qualifications, and he will talk about that in this episode. We'll talk about how it's okay to try out different things when you're first starting out as a coach. Look at others out there who coach and see what works or doesn't work for you. Robbie will share some of his experiences working with Richard Litvin, co-author of the book, The Prosperous Coach. In the beginning of my own coaching journey, I followed a lot of Richard Litvin's work, I watched a lot of his material, and Robbie offers some insights into that. In his current work, Robbie's interested in three main things. Creativity, and why people don't do the things they want to do, and this will actually be the subject of a series of books, the first of which Robbie will be releasing very shortly. Leadership, and how people can be honorable in their work. How they can find success without feeling like they have to compromise their values and identity, and coaching, the amazing craft that allows each of us to develop vital skills for our future and to more often be our wisest and most useful selves. I found out about Robbie through a fellow student, Paul Chang, who is now up and running as a fully-fledged certified coach. Big shout-out to you, Paul Chang. Thanks so much for introducing me to Robbie. I was, at the time, looking for a podcast out there that would interview coaches who would talk about their experiences and some of the best practices that they have. And that's what led me to Robbie's Coach's Journey podcast. And I eventually reached out to Robbie and he agreed to uh, come on the show. Some of the things he shares here I think are really valuable and I hope you will enjoy them. So let's turn now to my interview with Robbie Swale. Well, Robbie, it's a delight to have you on the podcast. Uh, welcome.
0: Oh, thanks, Clark. It's a total pleasure to be here.
1: <laughs> I know it's a bit funny because uh, you yourself have a podcast, which we're certainly going to get into in, in, our, in our chat today. Uh, first of all, I just want to say that your podcast was a, a major influence for me, and I've enjoyed listening to it and getting to know you well through that. But a lot of the reason why this podcast I have the coach's compass exists is is because of you. So I want to just start off by thanking you for that.
0: Well, thank thanks very much. I think it's like um it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because of course there are podcasts that have that same place for me and I can think about them and we can talk about them. And I know, you know, you listen to some of those too, but it's like, yeah, it's really interesting to to think about that and to think about what's the influence we have when we make something for all kinds of reasons. And then it, you know, the wonderful thing about the internet is it ripples out there into the world and you never know who will pick it up. And I think, you know, you're in Canada now, but I think you were somewhere different when you were originally listening yeah. to it and so it's like you never know where in the world it will end up it's, it's kind of magical you know i had a I had a thing recently where it obviously got into a i had a few coaches from india contacting with me uh, mm-hmm. contacting me about the podcast and about coaching and it obviously made its way somehow miraculously you know with really i've put a tiny bit of money into advertising it just to experiment um yeah but mostly it, it spreads by word of mouth and somehow it made its way into a little circle of coaches in india and that's really exciting and and, and yeah, I think there's like, um, when I started my podcast, I thought, oh, I'm so late to the podcast, like bandwagon. Is it really too late now? And then I'm really glad that I started when I did, because it turned out it still had a lot to grow, particularly over, over coronavirus. And, you know, I suspect that we will still be saying that
1: in two years time. I don't think that the podcast market has um, has finished growing yet. No, and that's, uh, you know, we're both Tim Ferriss fans, and, and he does speak about that uh a lot, that he believes that we're just scratching the surface still in terms of podcasting, because, I mean, they, funny enough, some people don't realize podcasting's been around for 15 years or more, so I think even five years ago people were saying, oh, you're late to the podcast game, but uh there's over 2 million, I believe, now, 2 million podcasts, but And, you know, we we joked earlier we could geek out on the podcast discussion, make a whole episode about it. The the people that listen to this really want to hear more about uh, coaching and the practice of coaching. And so I'll probably just get right into it. Uh, you know, as I said, you're, you've been a huge influence on, on me on this and on this podcast. And I'm going to turn the question that you ask your guests over on you. So you're on the other side of this. Uh, when did you first come across that word coaching? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's
0: so it's funny, because I partly started asking that question, because I thought, oh, it's quite interesting how I first came across the word coaching, and how long it was for me between that and uh, coaching professionally. And you're the first person to have asked me that question ever. I can't believe no one else has asked me it before. Why, why haven't they? You know, I have my guests not said, what about you, Robbie? How rude. Um, no, but so, so for me, it was like, it was about 2012, I think. And my brother um, who works, um, he's, a, he's a coach sometimes, although at the moment, most of his work is for the coaching, training organization Coaches Rising, where he's one mm-hmm. of the... Uh, one of the, the, the senior team members, senior staff members there. I don't know exactly what his role is, is called at the moment. Um, his name's Ewan Townhead. Before he did that, he, he did what... We are talking about bandwagons. It probably wasn't, but to me, it felt like one of the first kind of online free summits you know those things now that you get advertised on Facebook. Like if you're a coach, you get them advertised to you like every week you know, with yeah. like a picture of like, yeah, just come to this free summit, and you know you're going to get absolutely hammered for marketing afterwards and all that kind of thing. And sometimes they're wonderful and and you know all that kind of thing. But they did what I think was one of the first ones. At least it was one of the first ones that I was aware of, and it was called Waking Up the Workplace, and it was about bringing together the what they who they thought were the um, the leading thinkers in the field of conscious business. Um, And that was based a little bit on the work of John Mackey, uh, you know, um, who was the founder of Whole Foods, although he had a book called Conscious Capitalism, although it was, was, you know, so that was a part of that, although John Mackey wasn't a guest. And it's partly based on, in some ways, the work of Fred Kaufman, who's an Argentinian um, author and coach, consultant. And he wrote a book the book conscious business and that's where I think they got that name from mm. and they had is was so two ways that that influenced me uh and and the podcast one is they had a question that they asked all the guests at the start, and it was a really nice framing for all those interviews, and they had a number of amazing interviewees um people i mean everyone should check out waking up the workplace it's still up it's just up there on like a static wordpress page because it you know it was pre apple Podcasts, it was pre spotify it was pre all that stuff really i mean maybe not pre literally the apps but pre that being where you host all those things um and they had fred kaufman they had david allen who wrote getting things done they had tammy simon who founded sounds true which is a fascinating publisher um, and and she was running a podcast, essentially a podcast then. Although I don't think she called it that. Um, and their their question was, "What is work to you?" That was the question they asked everyone at the start, and 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 that was because really that that interview series that that summit was about what if work can be more than um, just a, a thing we do every day, um, and and they talked about that in, in different ways over the course of that interview series um and so i listened to that and it was a it was a formative time of my life it was when like the i guess the first phase of some people talk about you know that phase up to about 27 um being like the the first the, your first go at being an adult right is coming to an end about then and that's why you know that's um that's why like well that might be why we get all those rock star deaths at that age because it can be a tough time and it's like a serious um identity shift that has to happen when you realize you've kind of you know, messed up a load of the f- a load of the f- things you've tried in the first part of being an adult have worked out really badly for you. At least they felt like they, they had for me around that time. But I was like, work was shifting for me. It needed to be something different. The first part of my career was kind of I was kind of realizing it wasn't going to be the thing I'd kind of thought it would be, which was something that, that rippled on down the down the years and the decades um so i was looking for that and that was very exciting what i didn't like so much about that um interview series was that all the questions so they had lots of live questions on it um from people who are listening in and then you could you could download the recordings which is what i did rather embarrassingly i did that like a year after it had come out i felt a bit sheepish like um my brother's this amazing thing that my brother had made with his with his friends and colleagues i got to a year late and um all the questions pretty much, very boringly, I thought, were asked by people who who declared that they were a coach. And I was like, what the heck's a coach? And why are there no real people asking these questions? Like, who are all <laughs> these coaches? And that is when I first heard about the word coaching and the way that we, we talk about it now.
1: Hmm. And then at some point you said, uh, now I want to do this? Or where did where did you go from there? Yeah, so... So that, like I said, that was a like. So I was working
0: in arts and culture in the UK. I'd kind of already done one career change by that point, and I decided I'd realized that one of the things I loved. I didn't know this about you until I went to, um, until I was like, you know, we've been in touch for like a year or so, I think, maybe a little, yeah. a, a little more. And um, I was looking looking back at your LinkedIn profile probably for the first time since that first time we connected a year and a bit ago. And I saw that you were like a member of the Shakespeare Club at university. That's like a, a strange thing that we have in common is like, uh, you know, in student years, Shakespeare. But anyway, kind I'm, of like, I'm
1: laughing that I kept that. I put that in my LinkedIn yes, and grace. that and that it showed up for somebody else somewhere along the way, 30, well, 20 years later, whatever it is. Yeah, that's
0: definitely, funny. Definitely. And I had that interest in and also interesting that you had your majors, it looked like, were what English, theatre, and economics. Yeah. What was yeah. interesting about me is if I could have done that, you can't. There's, there's like a couple of universities in the UK where you can do that kind of thing. If I could have done that, that would have been a or like theatre and so I ended up studying maths at university. But what I spent like ninety percent of my time doing was acting in in student plays. Um. Mm. And if I could have probably split that in in some way, which you can do in a couple of places in the UK, I think, or you used to be able to, doesn't really happen. I probably would have. Um. Anyway. I'd kind of had a couple of false starts in my work by that point. But one of the things I decided to do was like, what do I love? And I'd already had that kind of frame. It's like, what do I enjoy? And it's like, well, I love the arts. I like the theatre. I like going to the theatre. How, how can I work in that in a way that, that feels hmm. uh, fulfilling in some way? And I'd kind of had played with and acting as a career in some ways, uh, like I'd applied to some drama schools and that kind of thing. But for various reasons, that hadn't felt like it was going to be a... In the end, one of the things that stopped me doing that was it. it, it I realised there was a big part of me that wasn't going to get used if I was an actor. like, And that didn't feel very satisfying. And we could talk about that, but it's it's probably not... Yeah, we could talk about that because it is a part of one of the things we ca- I come across with clients sometimes. It's like, okay, I've just kind of realised that there's this whole part of me, all these strengths that aren't getting used in the work I'm doing, and how can I change that? Um, so i would had that realization already, and then i would moved into leadership in arts and culture. I'd run a couple of organizations, and I thought that, you know, for a while, I thought, well, down the line, I'd love to be running one of the biggest theaters in the UK or the biggest arts centers, you know, um, which is probably like the South Bank Center in London, which is an amazing building and place where all kinds of amazing um, uh, music and, and theater and art takes place. And then I'd kind of realized that wasn't for me. And there are a few reasons about that that um, we could talk about, but essentially the high level version, as I remember it, was realizing that although I was proud of what I had helped make happen whilst working in these arts venues that that I was the manager of, I didn't really enjoy the actual making it happen. So my job wasn't really creative, it was like organizational. And so Very I spent a administrative. lot of time, exactly filling in spreadsheets, uh, emailing people, uh, trying to herd peep cats into a line, so that, that we could kind of get the get the gig on at the last minute when something weird had happened. And there's exciting parts of that. Had a crazy one <laughs> in one place once where we like we couldn't get our cinema projector working, and d- the engineer had been there since like nine thirty a.m. and there was a showing of the film with like. I I don't think it was a massive audience, but, like, 50 people booked in for... And, like, 15 minutes before they were due to go in, he managed to get the projector to work. This is, like, a big-scale, digital... It's not, not like, you know, a small version of what a major cinema would have these days. Mm -hmm. And he got it to work by jamming a screwdriver into it, like, to wedge a thing down so some connections met. So we had some fun, like... At the time, that was very stressful. As soon as it was afterwards, it felt like Mission Impossible. And we had some, like, fun times like that. But mostly... I didn't like that organizational side. I kind of knew that that wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And so for various things collided as that first phase of being an adult came to an end, which was that I had saved some money um, in one of those jobs and so I could take some time off. A relationship I was in had ended and suddenly I was kind of more free than I'd been for a while. And I took some time off in that way that people do. I had about six months off. I didn't do a massive amount of thinking in that time um in terms of what i would do but what it did emerge from that period was i wanted the process of my work to be something that i really enjoyed and as i kind of analyzed um had a, c- a cool frame um from actually one of the guests on ewan's series a guy called brett thomas i heard a somehow i ended up on his mailing list and he had a frame for i think he called it finding your calling i can't remember if it was that phrase or something like that and the frame he had for that was like uh, what are you? What are you? What's, what's the Venn diagram of what you're good at, what you love to do, and um, what contribution you want to make to the world? Um, and that frame was really useful for me because you know, and because I had like a couple of other criteria, which is like I want to do this stuff. I want something that I enjoy the process of. I don't want to get stuck where it's like I enjoy ten percent, but the actual detail of the work is not something I want to be doing. Mm. Um, I would, I was like, I would love it if like the stuff I wanted to like read about and learn about in my spare time was work like that would feel like what if work could be what if work and life didn't have that divide I think it's again because we've you started with that question about where I first heard about coaching waking up the workplace is really showing up in this and I think that's true that that was a very influential thing for me Um, but also it's like you know I'm sure also it's just because it's in my mind but you know, there were some really lovely things they said in that, like one of the, I can't remember who it was, it might have been you and my brother, it might have been one of the guests, said something like at one point, um, you know, that work-life balance is a weird phrase because it implies that work isn't life. And that is quite sad. And that's how a lot of people feel. And I was like, I'm not, that's not really cool with me. um, If that's the future of my life is to have 40 hours of work, um, followed by you know every week or if I'm lucky and 70 if I'm not followed by um you know two days of of life like that doesn't feel like that's a good way to spend the next decades of of life and then to finish answering your question in a long-winded way Clark like through that analysis at some point I was sat on a train reading a book um and um with all those frames in mind and I'd um by this point I'd met I'd got a new girlfriend who's now my wife and one of the things i was sure about in the next phase of life was i'm going to be much better at relationships so i was reading a lot of books turned out i didn't know this like i just thought relationships were like a fixed thing i had a kind of fixed mindset about them turns out there are loads of very wise people who have written very wise clever things about how to have better intimate relationships and i was reading and like drinking that in and suddenly i was like oh who are these like this is i'm really enjoying this and like, oh, who are these people? It turned out they were all like psychotherapist and coach or, or one or the other. And then I was like, well, I loved the one-on-one work I did with my staff. I wasn't a very good manager because we would do like a one-on-one catch up every three to six months instead of, you know, we should have been doing that a lot more regularly, especially because we always loved doing it. But it was absolutely true that that, that, that was I was like, oh, I can imagine if I could do that kind of thing all day. Or I loved like mentoring students that we had or, you know, working with volunteers, all that stuff felt really good. I just hadn't been doing enough of it in the work that I'd done before. And that was like, OK, maybe I could look into these kind of people related things. And then a little while later, we got to some coaching training and I can talk a bit about that if, if that's useful.
1: Well, it's, um, it's funny. There's a lot of things there. One was the, what jumped out for me was that a lot of coaches, they go through, they want to be coaches. They, they've been inspired to be, they, they want to do this. They go to their coach training and then are faced with the daunting task of actually getting clients. And so when you were saying about the you wanted something you enjoyed in your free time or that you would, you know, you would be as interested in it in your free time as in as when you're actually doing it. The thing that came out for me was just that amount of time that people have to spend in the in what I would say a lot of coaches don't really want to do is the the marketing piece and getting finding clients and selling themselves talking about themselves to me. That's that 90%, I think, that uh, a lot of coaches need to spend a major amount of time finding clients, whereas they'd love to spend 90% of their time coaching. You you obviously have to find clients. So how does that ratio of time spent look right now for the fun coaching part versus the getting the clients part? And for some, you know, finding clients could be very fun. Like marketing is, is a thing that really, they love that stuff. But I know it is a challenge for a lot of, especially new coaches. How do you how do you balance that? Or what does that look like, that ratio? Well, it's a
0: lovely question, Clark, because it made me think, you know. A long one, but. At, at the moment, I don't, you know, this is a lovely thing to be able to say. And I'm about six and a half, it's about six and a half years since I first coached, someone first paid me for coaching, a bit less than that. And really, to be honest these days, I don't think about, like, finding or getting clients. Um there's a few reasons for that that we can talk about. Some of it is word of mouth, some of it is my choice, and some of it is some relationships that I have which feed me clients one way or another, essentially. So that, so we can talk about that in a sec. But mm-hmm. I just think that, that one of the things that's really interesting about what you said, so in the early days, two things made a real difference. Like one was I kind of had a sense that I might need to... um that that might be a problem for me because although I had worked in small organisations and done all the bits of a business, um, I knew that I had never sold my time before, and I'd kind of picked up from people that that was a really that could be a really could require some growth, let's say, to get through. I it could mm. be really difficult and kind of feel unpleasant and uh, scary, and so I kind of dived into doing that as soon as I could. And the coach training that I did, which was with a startup coach coaching school, which is kind of resting now, although my friend Mike and I have just picked up the content and we're using it for the first time in a, in a few years to running a coach training, which is interesting. Um, but the coach training that I did, they were great because they they basically structured the first module of that training to get you ready to practice coaching. And then they sent you out and said, right, okay, we've got you ready. You can coach now, mm. go and do it. And they said, if you're up for it, charge some money. And so I started having those money conversations with potential clients straight away. And the reason that that's important when I look back is like that, just like everything we do, is is 90% about practice. And I'd yeah. never practiced having those conversations. And I started practicing straight away. And I had some good advice at that point about how to do that. Um, and uh, that meant that quicker, and I did it when I had a lot of support to do it as well, because I was still part of the certification. And that meant that much more quickly than if I had, if I'd waited till the end of the certification to do that, I'd had been i have been out on my own. I wouldn't have had that same
1: um, mm. container in which to practice and learn. And I think that would have been a lot harder. I like how you describe the, you don't look at it as finding clients, because I think that is something that I know I say it. I, I use those words, finding clients, and I've heard a lot of other people use that, that word. So Um, and then you mentioned there's a second thing uh how you look at this
0: yeah yeah so the first thing definitely that made a difference at the start was practicing and starting early um and the support that i got there the second thing which goes to that that distinction right was that i read the prosperous coach around that time and as for a lot of coaches that uh was very formative and how I ran my business from then on. Um, and part of that is that distinction. So it's like, I'm not getting clients. I'm not finding clients. This is a, I think this is a chapter in the Prosperous Coach. It's a while since I've read it. I can't be sure. Uh, I'm creating clients. And it's just to remember that we have it in our, you know, we can be a player in the game of our business rather than just like a victim hoping that one day some clients will come to us. And the, uh, but the, the, the other thing that, that you know, m- What you said a a couple of minutes ago made me think of was that one of the great distinctions in that book is is they talk about, I think it's a Steve Chandler chapter, they talk about like the business of coaching and coaching. And again, it's another Venn diagram. Maybe again, this is the mathematician in me, loves that stuff, right? So it's like, on one side, you've got the business of coaching and you've got the actual craft of coaching. And most people get into coaching because they love the idea of the craft of coaching. And that's part of my story too, right? That was like, how do I have a thing that I love doing every day and that the actual process of the work is something that I love doing. And what they say in the, in the prosperous coach is how do you get those two uh, circles of the business of coaching and the craft of coaching to overlap as much as possible so that actually the way you run your business and create clients is to do the thing that you're good at and you love doing. i.e., having usually, you know, having powerful coaching conversations with people. Hmm. Um, And there are many reasons why that decision to, to essentially, so I like what was interesting was there were some kind of tips and things that I got taught by my program about how to, to to enroll clients. And actually, after a little while of even practicing in that way, I decided to shift it to favor more what, what we might call a prosperous coach approach. And that, in a lot of ways, um, you know, is about how do you... Is, is why I don't have to worry so much these days about like the business side of my of my business when it comes to creating clients. Um, and that's because, you know, really what The Prosperous Coach says is the way you build a coaching business is by invitation and referral. So it's like a word of mouth business. Um, and one of the insights that I had, I spoke to the kind of inspiration for my podcast in some ways was I had like five or six conversations right at the start of my um Uh, training or just after I'd finished my training I can't remember the exact timing um, and they were with experienced coaches about how they'd got to a point where their business was sustainable and that was so useful to do and then in the end I thought well actually that, that thing doesn't seem to exist that much in the podcasting universe or the internet like I can make that and that's in some ways where my podcast came from but what turned up in all those early conversations I had with experienced coaches was it's like they'd all had a thing which got them to the place where their business fed itself where the word of mouth ecosystem or the like critical mass of people they'd worked with was enough so that there were referrals coming in so that they had clients so that those clients would then later refer people. And there's a point at which if you've coached enough people, essentially um, that happens. And there are a few ways that in the end, I guess I have got somewhere near that point, although my business has ups and downs and we can talk about that um, as well. Definitely. Um, you know, I've just had, it's been funny to watch, in the last couple of weeks, I've had probably like four or five potential new clients just appear in my inbox. Like, inexplicable why they all showed up at once, um, but that was all, because they were all referrals from clients in, in one way, shape, or form. And that's quite unusual to get four or five in such a short space of time for me, um, but it's all because of the work that I did to to coach a lot of people um yeah and that, that's quite a lot for me clark so yeah tell us where you yeah, no. sorry
1: well, richard Lidfin, uh, the prosperous coach the book uh, it's, it's one i've read as well and i read it very early on like as i was starting my coach training and i think it's one of those books that you probably pick up several times you know it's yeah. uh it is one that is useful in the beginning to, to a certain degree. I think it's like any book is like that, isn't it? Where you almost have a different experience each time you read it. Maybe like
0: any good book is like that. I think there are probably
1: some that aren't very good. That's true. That's true. That aren't, but that's it's true. Like, if it's especially
0: that that book, so it's like what you'll hear Rich and, and probably Steve say is um you know it's it's, it's not a how to guide right it's a book of principles and what mm-hmm. the great thing about that is it means that you can come back to those principles again and again yeah um, and it definitely f- completely
1: feel the same though, that you read it at the start but also don't don't only read it at the start and one of the things i've found challenging so richard lyfen i i watched a lot of his material in the early, in the early part of my coaching training in particular and uh, really liked the way he engages and can, he's got this intensity to him, and he's got something he calls high flame and low flame, where he can turn up that intensity level. But I've, I think though that sometimes you gotta be careful about watching coaches like that in your, in the early stages of the training, especially as you're learning, getting your certification. Cause I've seen it not work for some people. They start trying to be Richard Litvin and, or, you know, other coaches out there, Tony Robbins, or what do you think of that? when you were thinking about how to how you were going to coach were you trying to emulate a certain style of someone or um is there a risk in paying too much attention to other coaches out there that you could there's an authenticity risk What, what do you think
0: yeah really good question um so there's a few things probably to say about that like one is um I think it's really useful and important when you're starting out to watch other people coach. Like, if your coaching certification or program that you learn on doesn't have the chance to watch other people coach, that's a really missed opportunity because you can learn so much from it. And people, I recommend that people watch Rich. Um, there's an amazing one with a guy called, you can watch a full coaching session, it's about an hour, with Rich and a guy called Simon Crow. I can't remember what it's called. It might be called like Fearless Coaching or something like that. And if you put it, if you put Rich Litvin, Simon Crow Coaching into YouTube, you probably get it. Yeah, um, I, can send, I, can send you, yeah I can send you a link to it um, if you can't find it. Um, it's great to watch Rich because you get that sense of his fearlessness or like his courage is probably a better way of putting it with clients and how deep he's willing to go and how powerful that can be. And that, that session is a great example of that. Um I also think it's important to remember. I, I I learned this from a friend of mine, Vegard Olsen. We we used to run workshops together, and he he used to do this great exercise in it where you think of somebody you admire, um, and you write down like the three people can do this if they're listening. You write down like the three qualities about the person you admire that that kind of represent them the best. And so pause if you're going to do this now, and then, uh, or maybe you don't need to do that. Pause and write them down, and then like the punchline is um you have all of those abilities about you all those qualities and that's because to really admire a quality in somebody you have to have it in yourself Um, you have to really know the quality and in order to really know a quality you have to have it in yourself and so like if you really admire rich which i do too like or i do then um probably that's because we have some things about ourselves that that are in common like some of the things that he does really well are probably some of the things that i do or could
1: do um really well. So like what we said about could do because one of the things he's very good at is that um really holding a space and and the silence and letting people just sit there with that feeling and that is something that I I can do. I do now. I think of I don't think of Rich Litvin when I do it, but I think as as many co- new coaches or people going through the training Perhaps have 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 had to understand is that you do eighty percent listening when it comes to coaching and yeah. Richard's uh, way of holding space to me in particular. It was something I wanted to be able to do. Create that. I'm go- not going to let you off the hook. You know, if if I'm going to let that maybe that question sit until we get some answers or or get something from you rather than oh you don't like that question i'll start off i'll say something else or let me let me rephrase that question a common trap that coaches can can fall into when they ask a question and get no response or get silence or maybe a struggle to answer so i like what you said there about the if there's if there's three things you're admiring about that person you're either it's either in you already or or you can do it or you could could do it
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember like having that, that was quite a a moment for me actually was, was remembering that exercise with Rich a period when, so I, I worked with Rich. I was a member of one of his group, small group programs. And, um, I remember getting that feeling of being like, oh, wow. Like, I'd never really seen that in myself before, but I was thinking about Rich, thinking about these things about him that I admired in the way he worked. And then I remembered that exercise that that Vegard had done in those workshops that we used to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, that means something about me. That means I have that in me. Um, and so that was a really important moment for me. And I've definitely stolen loads of stuff from Rich. Like, I don't make any bones about that. It's how I run my group coaching calls. It's based on him because he's got a decade of of mastery of how to run amazing group coaching um, and so I steal loads of stuff from that. And you steal stuff from people, and then you let it out through yourself. And then gradually over time, as you keep doing that, or as I keep doing that, it becomes much more me. You get the flavor of me that's in there more. Um, but it's a good practice to use other people's coaching techniques to see what they, how they fit on you. And so I love the question that Rich often asks, which is something like, what would make this an extraordinary conversation? And, and, like, if you ever ask a client what they want to get out of the session and they say something about, well, what feels realistic is um, this, then that's a fun time to say to them, okay, great. So we, we can look at that, that thing that's, that's realistic. But what would happen if you let go of the need for it to be realistic? Like, what would make this an extraordinary conversation? And what often happens is they drop in. They get freed from their kind of um, normal way of thinking. They come up with something that to them seems crazy and extraordinary. And surprisingly often, that's something that it is possible for two people to create in a coaching session together. Um, And so like to borrow that question and to play with it and you feel at first like it's like a scary thing to do because... You know, you don't feel extraordinary as a coach. You feel scared. You're worried that you won't be able to fulfill the thing they say. Add
1: value, all those things. All that
0: stuff. And then you ask it and you remind yourself, or you try and remind yourself a bit like you said, you know, it's like, I can be silent here. That's okay. I don't have to add value. Try and remind yourself. It's about the client, not about me. Like, what if, and this sometimes has happened to me with clients, what if this is the first time anyone's ever invited them into that kind of space of possibility? Like, what a gift um, you can give to people by doing that kind of thing. So I think steal from people. Um, and then there's probably two other things to say about that. Like the reason that I think it's really useful to do a certification is, um, to know the rules of coaching. Like the best time to break the rules of coaching is, or the rules of anything is when you know what those rules are really well (laughs) and you know why they're there and you know that breaking them is the, um, is like more in the spirit of the rules than keeping the rules, uh, or like a guest I had on uh, the next guest that's cut of the, the next episode that's coming out of my podcast. The, it'll be the November twenty twenty one episode is with a guy called Miles Downey, and in his one of his books he said um, in his book he's got a book called Effective Modern Coaching, um, and in one of those books he said it's a bit someone once said of acting, um, uh, there are no rules, but you've got to know them. Um, and coaching is a bit like that. Uh, and it is a little bit. So it's really good to, kn- you need to know the rules before you break them. And you'll see Rich, if you watch him, or Tony Robbins, breaking the rules of coaching a lot. What what I can't say this for sure about Tony Robbins, because I, I don't know Tony Robbins personally. Um, although, I you know, people watch, um, I think you get this feeling strongly um If you watch, um, there's a Netflix documentary, at least on Netflix in the UK, uh, called I Am Not Your Guru. Uh, If if people haven't watched that, it's a really interesting watch and kind of amazing. And there's some absolutely like, what Tony Robbins does in some of those bits, obviously it's edited together, right? So we don't know, I've never been there, but many people have been to Tony Robbins events and got amazing things from them. And some of the stuff he does is is like, you'll watch it and you'll kind of, your jaw will drop a little bit at the transformation he creates in people in an impossibly short amount of time. Now, I haven't, I don't know Tony Robbins, but I think the same will be true of him. I do know Rich. And what I think goes on a lot when you're very experienced at coaching is that your pattern recognition, it gets very, very well developed. And I think you can see that in Tony Robbins and I think it's definitely true of, of Rich. So when you're in the presence of, of Rich, like his presence is very deep. Like he's done a lot of work on himself so that he can be very present with people. And of course, I'm sure not always because he's a human, but he's, he's a real listener and he's a possibility coach. But that means that in the end, sometimes what he does doesn't look like coaching. But that doesn't mean that it's kind of not, if, if, if on some level that makes sense. Because he, like I think you can see of Tony Robbins in that documentary, is there, really there with the person, is really there to try and serve and support them, and is using everything they've got to do that. Um, and they're doing that, you know, I guess what I would say is, to me, it looks like they're both doing that uh, with integrity, Um, and so I can't say that for sure, but like that's why it's, that's why in some ways it's okay for them to do stuff like they do. But why I wouldn't advise, on the flip side, of copy people and steal things from them. Why what you kind of reference, which is people trying on their kind of stuff too early in the journey, doesn't always work because it might look the same, like they're saying the same thing as as Rich might say. Um, but if they're not, if they don't have Rich's presence or skill or experience at that point, it might land terribly. Because and what might happen with Rich is he would never say that same thing at that same time to that same person as the beginner coach might.
1: You're one of the first guests that I've had that actually has sound, has experience working with Rich Lipvin, so I I'm, I can't not ask you a little bit more about that. Can you share what it's like to work with him or go through some some of his uh, uh, some of his programs? Yeah, so I did a
0: th- I did a program that uh, doesn't I don't think exists anymore. I think he's kind of paused it called the Prosperous Coach Salon, which is like a I can't remember if it's eight or ten. Uh, people in a group uh, over six months, Uh, like three calls a month uh, on Zoom. Um, And I also went to, I've been to two of his intensives, one in London and one in Los Angeles. Um, And I probably say, could probably say a lot about about those. Um, One of the things, if we think about, you, you know, a bit back to your question about marketing earlier on, I think I've found that the intensives tell an amazing story about what it's like if you show up as yourself in your work and you put a lot of that work out into the world um, and especially maybe you piss some people off and I think that's one of the things that, that Rich says sometimes like if you want to do extraordinary things you've got to be willing to piss a few people off um, and he's just got funny stories about like uh, people putting just like truly horrible comments on his on his YouTube videos. I think there was one which is like, Rich Litvin, you make me sick. So <laughs> I like, imagine being a human and getting that comment on a YouTube video, like YouTube comments are a place, like I don't have many videos on YouTube. I've got a few. Um And even I've had some, like, you know, YouTube comments is a pretty horrible place. There's not a lot of, like,
1: joy there. It's, like, it's probably a bit worse than Twitter, maybe, even. Um, Well, and our tendency is to, of course, gravitate toward the negative when we read these comments as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um,
0: But when you're in the room with, I can't remember how many people there were at those intensives, let's say 100, 150 other people, like, if they are all there because they admire rich or like what he's got to say or feel it's important or feel they've got something to learn and rich has been showing up as rich as much as he can through his work or you know maybe it's his it's brand rich like i don't know how he would think about that although i can talk a bit more to that um because i have spent time on zoom calls with him um and in the room like uh You know, the 150 people that are in that intensive room, well, they've all self-selected to be there for the same reasons. Plus, they're committed enough to have spent, I can't remember what it was, like $2,000 or £1,500, or I can't remember what it was, somewhere in that order. Um, And maybe they've travelled to London from across Europe, to, to LA from across the world, I mean, either from across the world. You know, it's like they've got something in common to have all been there. And so what you get in that room is quite amazing and in some ways i think it's like the un they don't really sell that or they didn't at the time i kind of think i tried to tell them to do this at one point like but that was one of the most extraordinary things about that it's like what a chance to be in a room with 150 people and i don't have personally i haven't been to many events like that in my life but I don't have many experiences, if any, of being in a in a in a collective experience with 150 people, which was as powerful in terms of the conversations that happen, like both in the room during the, the three days or, you know, having breakfast with somebody separately, you know, on one of the days or dinner afterwards. Like they were transformational things. Um, what, like I said before, one of the things about Rich is he he plays with possibility a lot. So the, the outcome of working with Rich and that that's those two intensives and that Prosperous Coach Salon, those happened over about a six month period, maybe like a nine month period from start of, I think I did an intensive first, then the six months of the salon started, then maybe an intensive at the end or the salon ran on a bit for various reasons. Um, like I came out of that basically feeling like in the world of coaching, I could do anything. And I'd been taught, I, you know, I'd both, that was both a, sh- a mindset shift, absolutely, from the different ways that, that Rich works. And it was like, I've I've spent a lot of time with a, a genuine master of running a coaching business. And I've learned, like, not everything he has to teach, but like, if you think about the 80-20 rule, I've definitely learned the key 20%. Not just like learned it in my head by reading the book, but embodied, learned it by by spending time with him and with other people who are really pushing themselves to build a coaching business, and by um, really pushing myself to build a coaching business and doing loads of things that I was scared of and making crazy proposals and um, just getting through a lot of that fear and anxiety and resistance that that I had had before that. And so that in some ways, like that's an amazing place to be because it means that when I, you know, I did have to do some stuff to learn to start a podcast, say, um, and I'm having to do loads and loads um, Uh, of getting through resistance to kind of get to a place where I'm going to publish some books, which is going to start happening before the end of the year. But it's like, with my coaching business, it's like when I wanted to start a group program, I kind of know how to do that. If I want to run my own intensive at some point, I feel confident I could do that. And I, you know, I have a way to do that. And it is, it is the Prosperous Coach way, which is not always the easiest on our, like, because it involves a lot of inviting. And I don't know if people, people don't know that there's a kind of four stage process, which um it's worth saying cuz it's just so useful which is um connect invite create propose and the 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 suggestion is that rather than focusing on how many clients you've got in uh, which is like, uh, or how much money you've got coming in, which is what, what, what in the book they call a lag indicator, i.e. it happens after the moment you've actually created the client. Focus on the lead indicators. They're what's in your control. Like they don't direct, you know, not every time you do one of them, do you get speech marks, get a client? But if you do enough of them and you're doing good enough work, you will be creating clients and, and they are connect. So are you connecting with people? Are you connecting people with each other? Do you ever meet anyone new? Like, if not, it's going to be quite hard to create coaching clients. And that could be online, but often it's in person. It probably isn't just adding someone on LinkedIn, but it might be having an in-depth conversation with someone over LinkedIn messages. Uh, invite. If you're never inviting people into a coaching conversation, like ever, it's probably quite unlikely that you'll ever have any coaching clients. It's not. It's not totally, but if you never do that, if you do that a lot more, you'll have. A, you'll end up with a lot more coaching clients. Uh, create is are you creating a powerful coaching um, experience for somebody are you doing great coaching and proposes Are you at some point saying it costs x pounds or dollars to work with me for y months or sessions and again if you never say that to anyone it's going to be hard for you to have coaching clients if you say that to a lot of people or or, or the amounts that you say are high then you'll probably have more clients and more money
1: yeah there's i want to so the, that one wanna... of come back to that the pricing conversation and and uh like I said you got to get used to having it you got to you got to have those conversations but before I w- we move off the rich Litvin for a sec was there any kind of um some of the, some of the I often have a bit of radar on these things that sometimes I get this is this a little bit like cultish or um <laughs> you know some of the people that attend these things you know bit different you mentioned the motivations and the experience you had of being there but did you ever get a vibe of this is some sort of sorcery type stuff? or <laughs> oh, It's funny, isn't it? Like, there's a bit of
0: that and you find yourself doing it because there's like, um, I think Tony Robbins probably has it the same, like lots of people who, you know, they have kind of catchphrases and you find yourself saying them like, like you do. You can't help doing it sometimes. And it's in some ways it's really useful because if you're in a room with 150 people like one of one of the ones that i still think about quite a lot is in the prosperous coach book is um uh, it's either a hell yes or a hell no and everything in between is just hell right and that's a really useful frame for life and when you're speaking with someone at the, at the at a prosperous coach event it's super cool you don't have to explain that to anyone they're telling you about this like dilemma they've got and you can just say to them well is it hell yes and they're like oh you know shit it's not is it i have to get rid of this thing it's great right (laughs) you can just suddenly cut to that and i I can't remember i can't think none of the other ones are like jumping to mind but it is a little bit it does have that right there is an element of that and i don't you'd have to ask rich about or, or or somebody else who's in that kind of situation like what it's like and how much they think about that and how they manage it but if you've got a sense of Essentially, a set of teachings, which are, re- and I use that word because it is does have the feel of a spiritual leader to me. And I think that's that kind of um, thing you're talking about. Like, I don't remember Rich ever doing this, but I think at Tony Robbins, they probably do. You know, you could do a call and response on the spiritual, essentially the speech marks, spiritual teachings. But really they're like a set of principles that are really useful if you're gonna, one, run a coaching business, and two, like grow as a human and be bold and brave in the world and change. Um, and, you know, so it's like, we need to be careful not to throw out the <laughs> the baby um, with the bathwater. But the other thing I'd say is, again, just going, you know, the other, the other thing that went through my mind as you were asking that question was the people that I have met. Um, through richest communities, both at those intensives and on the salon that I was um a part of, and they were not cultish people, right they were people essentially um like me who were really, people
1: like us right mm-hmm.
0: exactly who were especially i mean it 's like <laughs> the salon probably even more so because it 's like another level of selecting uh selection that 's happened if you 're willing to pay i think it was like ten thousand dollars or something to do that um like, that's a level of commitment. And so there were people there who were, like, really serious about growing their coaching business or about transforming as people or both. Um, so that was even more so. That was even more practical. Um, and But, yeah, it's like a there's, – there's the thing that we've all got to be a bit careful, I think, if we, if we work in the field of personal transformation, which is that you can get a bit addicted to, like – like, I've got a friend who says he's, like, a workshop junkie and he's saying that like knowledge with self-knowledge that it's like it's not a good thing to just do the workshops to just keep spending like $10,000 every year to work with rich if you're not getting the results that you want i think as long as you get as long, if you get the results you want from from working with somebody like that or getting into one of those things that may look a little bit cultish from the outside then i don't think it really matters right but if you're not getting the
1: results then that might get a bit a bit weird. Um, yeah, and I think you have to take out of it what uh, you know. Everything good or bad, or or middle, somewhere in the middle, tends to have learnings f- from it. That yeah, no matter what, you're going to get something. It's, it's absolutely right. And
0: like we had a thing in our salon. I don't think this is confidential, so I think I'll well, I'll say it anyway. Where it was like I'll I'll say it with a bit of a bit held a bit tightly, but like where we actually felt like we weren't quite getting delivered what we'd been promised in the salon for a couple of reasons and it turned out that it was actually an administrative cock-up at rich's company where they'd sold like some of us one thing and some of us like me because i i tried to get on the previous salon and hadn't it sold out just before i'd got on it so i'd been moved on to the next one they hadn't sold to me what what had been changed about the salon but as soon as like so that was a bit but but as soon as they like they realized that like the most masterful bit it was kind of worth worth 10 grand just to like be there for that bit was when rich dealt with the fact that there'd been this mistake and he dealt with it with amazing presence and integrity and it was like yeah even the thing that didn't work out well like i was like uh, having that recording of how he dealt with the fact that a group program had kind of felt like they weren't getting what they'd paid for was kind of i've got that recording forever now and i'm going to be able to go back and watch that whenever that whenever that happens to me Um, and i heard from a, a guy i know who's on been on so i think instead of that rich has a thing called project kairos now which is instead of the prosperous coach salon which is a slightly different format but similarly like teaching the prosperous coach or he has had that i think they had like a (laughs) <laughs> people were complaining to Rich about Rich in that one. And he had like a, okay, let's have an I hate Rich session where everyone got to like write and say on audio to him just what they hated about him. And it's like, <laughs> that takes some serious presence, right? And and, and says, says
1: something about the guy. Thanks for that. I appreciate the, the the rich, some of that Rich Litvin, what that's like and going through it. And, and I was going to say also that uh, isn't it when you really understand who you're working with when something goes wrong more often than yeah. anything else. Uh, it's when you have that, like you go back to the dry cleaner with the with something they've done to your, they've been great up to that point and getting all your stuff done. And but then you bring back that hole in your garment. How they react to that issue is when you know what you're dealing with from, a, you know, a integrity level uh, and customer service level. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And like, um, you know, people can think what they like about, about Rich, of course, but he's made an enormous difference to my, I mean, even if I'd never worked with him, that book made an enormous difference to my work and life, spending, getting to do that work with him made a huge difference. It's been a part of the personal transformations as well as the business success that I've had a huge part, um, over the last six years or so. And, um, you know, and it, it's also like, I had a question about like, um, about book publishing it's kind of a a long story which i probably won't tell but like i emailed him about it and he we had a call about it where he gave me some super useful advice on that just on a monday morning for him before his kids were going to school and it's like you know he's a yeah he's made a big difference to me in that and it's it's Hmm. important to say that
1: i want to get to a bit of your own practice um just I saw you have two sides of your business. There's your, you work with leaders and entrepreneurs. And I like this part with a strong desire to change the world. <laughs> and then you also work with coaches. Um, tell me a little bit about that first part. What's the, how do you find what's, what do you mean by a strong desire to change the world?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? To put it like that. One of my a guy, uh, kind of, kind of one of the people who's in some ways coaching me at the moment said that in a way that's my b2b B and b2c or the other way around b2c business to consumer is the leadership stuff and i have some business to business stuff which is the coaching stuff which is why splitting that in that way um makes sense and it's interesting that you pulled out that phrase as well because i'm probably gonna basically tear up that page of my website in the next few months and rewrite it and that's important to say because it's like one of the great th- one of the important things that um uh, the, the most important things, uh, as a kind of perfectionist, recovering perfectionist, I can't remember who I first heard say that, but such a good phrase, it might have been Brene Brown or somebody like that. It's like, um, as a recovering perfect- perfectionist, a really important lesson for me was like, don't forget you can change your website anytime. So you can just, you just make it like a, a crap first draft and then you, you accept that you're going to have to change that. And that's true of like everything about the website. You will change it at some point. When you change it, it'll be fine. You can change it anytime. You don't have to get it perfect because if you, even if you get it speech marks perfect, tomorrow you'll know more. And then you'll probably like, as soon as you've seen a new thing, you can just change it. And that's great. So um, that's and how. And not to reprint the brochures either. Right, exactly. It's such an advantage. Imagine if we had to do everything based on brochures and business cards and, catalogues, like like we would have in some ways had to do, or like adverts in newspapers and all that kind of thing. Um, so I'm probably going to tear up that page soon. But like, hmm. so, hmm strong desire to change the world. So one of the things I learned from Rich, he has this great exercise, um, which you can, again, everyone can do. Um, I think it used to be called Six Boxes. I think he's changed it to three by three or something now because he came up with some extra stuff to add in and what you do is you come up with like your three favorite clients like anyone you've ever coached whether it's paid for or or free and you you uh, i'm not going to necessarily remember all the things you write down like what are their for each of them you write down what are their biggest struggles um and what are the qualities in you that that in them that you most admire Something like that again. So it's again it's that admire question again, which is which is interesting. And you use that, that's how you start talking to clients. So instead of having a demographic, which is which is in a little bit away what leaders and entrepreneurs is, it's like, are they a leader or an entrepreneur? And do they have a desire to change the world? That's a bit like, are they a left-handed person who's uh, male and good at badminton? Right, that's again a demographic. But um, what you're looking for in the six boxes thing is a psychographic. Which is like, who, how do the people that you do your best work with think? Like, who are they as people? Um, and that's a, in my experience, that's a much more successful way of working out how you can do, how I can do my best coaching. Because, you know, I had a great experience of this earlier on. I knew I wanted to work with people who were partly because of waking up the workplace again, who were kind of had influence and had impact. Um because it was- imp- that was just important to me and and that they might be in business they might be an entrepreneur or a leader in some way and then I did a coaching session with somebody who and i found a way to do this with someone who was an entrepreneur of a really cool startup doing stuff in the uk in the city of London but it was like really good stuff that they were doing and it was the, we didn't do good coaching like we were a terrible match it was like quite a dull session and he he got a little bit from it but not much. And that was probably because he had the demographic that I was looking for, but not. we weren't actually a good match. Um, having said that, so what I'm really looking for when I've got a phrase like that on my website is, um, and this is like, a, a, I read a book about how to make a website again early on, just one, but it was like, it only really had one point in it. It's like, what do you want the person who's on your website to do? And basically, my website's different to this now, but at first my website was like, I want whoever hits that website to schedule a coaching session with me an initial coaching session, because that's the prosperous coach approach, right? Instead of doing a consultation or a chemistry call, you just coach the person. Uh, We can talk about how you do that. And I've got some videos on YouTube and so does Rich about how you might structure that conversation to make it likely they become a client. Um, But uh, so therefore what you want, what I want my um, website and the things I write on there to do is um, select for the people. So get the people who meet my six boxes psychographic to email me. And the interesting thing about the six boxes exercise is that when the punchline of it—spoiler alert! Again, listeners who don't want to know the punchline, because then what you do is you're like, "What are these? What do these three people have in common when it comes to their struggles and their desires?" And then you, what are they? You know, you make a list of that, and the punchline is it's you. So your ideal client is you. Uh, and for me, it was it was spectacular. It was like I was like I couldn't. I knew the punchline, and I still couldn't believe that it came out. You know and. It was, you know, it had that strong desire to change the world in it. But it also had weird stuff. Like, they'd all been through a period of, like, adversity which led them to really reconsider how they looked at the world and set them on the journey they were on now. And, you know, my adversity was, like, a long-term relationship breaking up and realizing that my the job I was in was a terrible job and I didn't want to do it anymore, it's, or the career I was in wasn't going to last the long term. And but they all had they had all different things from breakdowns to illness to to similar things to me. And I was just like that is that is semi crazy that that's that's the case. So what I wanted to do with that phrase, as as I remember, I'm kind of guessing going back because it's a while since I wrote it, is you know. Will that appeal to those people who are a bit like me? If I read that, it's like, am I, I mean, you know, it's interesting because I sometimes get in trouble, like with people who are my who are really good clients for me, who, but who really like have a strange relationship to say the word leader, where they think they're definitely not a leader. And if you're looking at them and you get inside their mind, it's obvious that they're leading their communities, their families, their you know all kinds of things. But they don't feel like a leader because they think a leader has to be a certain thing, just like some of us might sometimes think a coach has to be a certain thing or look a certain way or. Speak a certain way, so I sometimes get in trouble with that word leader. But mostly, it's good because it's like, okay, will the people who are a bit like me read that and think, "Oh, this guy works with leaders and entrepreneurs who have a strong desire to change the world." Yeah, that's that's what I want to do. Let's um, let's let's have a conversation together. Um, and then the last part is like, if you don't like, I want my work to change the world. Like, I want it to make a difference. And so it's important, you know, it's a good, if, if I want that to make a difference, it's good to work with people who want to make a difference too.
1: Well, my reaction when I read it, it's sort of like it doesn't let you off the hook when you read it as a, a person that comes to your website. Lots of people say they work with, with uh, leaders and entrepreneurs. But that, that second part actually prompts the person to actually say, wait a sec. Am I that? I think that's a li- nice little filter in a sense for them to take pause on that just for a moment before they reach out to contact you. And I don't know if that has a maybe if there's a negative side to that. Like you mentioned, you want to work with people that are like kind of like you at the end of the day, if I heard that right but that with a strong desire to change the world, it does kind of just, maybe you'd, I wonder how many people you would hear from if you didn't have that phrase that ultimately it might end up, you wouldn't work with them anyway.
0: Yeah, and you know, we'll never know, sadly. It'd be fun to have an alternative. Maybe I could, I could set up two websites, right? And just uh, have them like the page, maybe I could set it up so the page shows one day and not the other, they change pages and one has that phrase and one doesn't. I'm probably not going to do that.
1: And then the coaches for coaches part, or you're coaching other coaches, you've also said that Richard Liffin's been an influence there. Do you have a preference toward which side you like to go to more, or is it is it equal, or, or do you get more business in one and, and not in another, or...? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, it
0: took quite, I had quite a lot of resistance to doing any work with and for other coaches because it didn't feel like real resistance <laughs> and, internally for your, yeah, you. Yeah, know? like um, it it. it would, I remember it was during the program with Rich. Like, I was getting it a lot, and then I had this great insight, which was I was in another, I was in a group, Rich's group, uh, with like, yeah, I think there were maybe there were originally ten, but we actually ended up with eight. I think that's why I'm confused about it. So it could have been for ten, but two people dropped out. And um, I remember realizing, oh, it's it's okay if I want to. Like, is co is coaching basically a cult? So that cult thing you're kind of, or the I think it's my word, isn't it? But that thing that 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 you were talking about before, it's like, is the whole thing actually that? Is it really all just like co- as all coaching coaches, and like that's a weird thing? And mm. I used to have that story a lot, and then I had th- I looked around the room, the Zoom room, and I was like, okay, so I kind of want to do this work with other coaches like i'm getting called to it in a few different ways and i want to do it but i've got all this resistance to doing that um but actually looking around the room there's actually only one other person out of the or two including rich out of the nine of us who want to do that work and the other one was the uh, like the guest on my podcast minor arias who is in costa rica um, and so it's like minor and i and he, he does all his work his, most of his work with coaches in spanish it's like we're not competition it's absolutely there's more than enough space in the world for there to be me in the uk and, and, and him there yeah and so it was like quite a lot of resistance for me to doing that um but i do i do really love it and um i love the craft of coaching i love having this conversation you know i w- had a phase where i was really looking at like um it's a lovely frame in the big leap by gay hendrix and the frame is the zone of genius and, and what if we all have a zone of genius and we spend most of our times like if we're lucky in our zone of excellence but it could life could be different in our zone of genius and our zone of genius is a bit like the brett thomas frame that i talked about earlier on it's where what we love what we're uniquely good at um, the way we want to contribute to the world all of that overlaps and the thought experiment of the zone of genius is what if that's also the place where we have the chance to make the most impact um, and also uh, create the most abundance and satisfaction for ourselves. So I was really playing with that. And there's some great questions in The Big Leap. And one of them is like, where have you created the most – like, what's the thing you've done which has the best ratio of time to satisfaction and abundance? Um, mm. And and like when I thought about that, it was like um, – Uh, it was an article I'd written about my journey as a coach, about how I'd gone from being, from starting my training to being full time in less than two years. And like that has, that's been read like probably 10,000 times now across different platforms. Um, and loads of people had contacted and connected with me, me about it. And I'd accidentally created this little audience of coaches who loved what I had to say about that. And I'd loved writing it. It had been a total, um, emergent experience. I hadn't like, I Just sat down. I'd kind of thought about it quite a lot. Then I basically sat down, and banged it out, and it had created some clients who I'd loved working with, who were coaches, and um, you know. And I also loved having. I noticed that I loved having. Like, I just had a con- off the back of that, lots of people contacting me to say, "Can I?" Because one of the things I say in that is, "Talk to experienced coaches." Um, and now, we, now I might be saying, "Listen to Clark's podcast," because it's got the same. You get the same feeling from it. But like, talk to experienced coaches because. They'll help you understand how it actually works or how it could actually work. And I just had a someone, so people would reach out to me on the back of that article saying, I loved your article, you wrote this thing. Can we have a chat about that? Right. And I said, yes. I said, yes, a lot more then than I do now because now I can say, you know, could, would you mind just reading through all this stuff or listening to some of the stuff that I've created first because I've said loads of it and it's already out there. Um, and we have to say no to stuff sometimes. But I'd just come off one of those calls at that point, and I was f- it was obviously something, so another of the questions in the big leap about how to find your zone of genius is what are the things you could do all day and you would leave them with more energy than you had when you started and I just loved having these conversations about coaching and I feel I can feel it now in this conversation, like you know this time is flying for me, and so really the resistance, all that stuff about oh, aren't coaches just coaching coaches, and isn't this like not real enough um that felt like. It, it, it was just getting in the way of me doing some work that I absolutely love doing and getting to have these conversations about coaching and support other coaches and that people kind of wanted me to do um and so I love doing it now and it's gone through several iterations I had a group program for coaches I used to do you know more a bit more one-on-one work with coaches I set a limit for myself now of, of like one coach in my one-on-one practice at a time as part of my way to say it's not just what I do, and it's important for that. And that was something Rich said, actually. He said it gets a bit weird. He said, don't, just be careful if you're going to run the group group stuff for coaches because it always gets a bit weird if people just work with coaches. Um, and that's so, a, yeah, so that, that's why the other bit is really important to me because it is real. It's more real in some ways. Um, it's not totally, but it is. it, it has that feel. Um, and also, if you're going to work with coaches, there's, a, there's like an integrity gap if you
1: only do that uh, for me. Uh, I was going to say, I had a conversation with Marion Franklin, who wrote The Heart of Laser Focus Coaching. It's a book that comes up a lot in the the circles I travel in. It's a great book, um, by the way. She actually told me that she had a challenge with that, that she didn't want to just be... Her radar goes up a little bit on people who only coach coaches. So part of her practice is she spends a majority of her time coaching coaches, but that she has her own coaching as well that she does because she just felt there was an inauthenticity about that. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, so I'm working with some people at the moment
0: on publishing books and I said to them, you know, it's really, so they, they learn about publishing books um, via uh, this amazing business of guitar books called fundamental changes and they're amazing guitar books and they've sold like a million copies or something of these books and it's and they're great books and we could talk about why that is if we want to geek out on publishing but um uh you know if they had only done if that was one of the reasons that made me excited to work with them because they hadn't they weren't just doing one of those things that looks a bit pyramid schemey where they're just you know talking about publishing books about publishing books and that's weird. And it's weird if coaches are only coaching coaches. It's just like, I guess that's it. You know, that's my feeling. There, is, there are, but having said that, there are great, like I had a great guy on, on my podcast called Chris Joseph and I asked him a bit about this. And because he was just, he basically been through a period a bit like what I just discussed about like the resistance that he had to doing that. And it, again, he felt like to, to working with coaches. He felt that like that had really held him back. And but he had a lot to offer to coaches. And his insight was, well, if if my if the coaches that I'm working with were only working with coaches, I would stop it. But whilst they are all working with people in all kinds of different diverse ways, what I'm doing by supporting other coaches is um, helping. These end users, whoever they are, whether they are female leaders or, um, creative entrepreneurs or, or leaders in the civil service or career changers or whatever it is, I'm helping them get better coaching by supporting the coaches that I'm supporting. And so it's like, it's a tricky thing because it, it it can be kind of pyramid scheme and mm-hmm. sales funnily, but it, it can also be very heart and soul led. Um, and I absolutely love so that what I, where am I? Business has evolved to is that alongside the, the podcast is, is is one of the ways I support coaches now. Um, and the other way is I have a community for coaches and I made, it's been a fun experiment. It's been running for about a year, a year. The podcast is about two years old. The, um, the, the community is about a year old. It's a fun model for me. It's getting into my, um, to really test my attachment to clients, um, because it's, I run it through Patreon so people can just, start whenever they want to start joining the program they can leave whenever they want to leave um i made it as i made some of it as affordable as possible so you can join from as little as about 10 pounds a month um and uh which is probably like what's that like 12 or 13 us dollars Mm. i don't know what what it is in canadian dollars quite but um
1: 50 yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we have an awful exchange rate here Uh, well i should speak to the
0: australians they get really stressed out about this stuff as well with with their dollar but
1: um yeah uh, but
0: so like you know so that's but it's a lovely way um to work and we get i get, I run a group call almost every month for those for different levels of, of membership in that community and basically that but i wanted to have a little bit of space for one-on-one work with one-on-one work with 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 coaches because sometimes people can't make those community things or they want something more intensive um but uh you know but I don't want my whole practice to be taken over by that. And what I'm very aware of, like I, I live a lot at the moment by, um, I don't know who originally said this. I first heard it from a woman called Sarah Cartwright. She's definitely not the first person um, to say say it, that, that saying yes to one thing means you're saying no to something else. And saying mm-hmm. no to something means you're able to create space to say yes to something else. And I live that very tightly. And I, I stare, I'm, I'm a kind of, what might we call it, like a, a control Uh, or like a responsibility absolutist something like that so it's like I believe that it's on me or I choose to believe that it's on me to decide how I spend my time and choose how my business goes and so if I keep saying yeah I have to say no to coaches one-on-one work sometimes doesn't happen that often because actually I'm quite good now at Pushing coaches towards the group because I think that's the most effective way for coaches to learn from me and to benefit from working with me. We can talk about why that is, but basically, it's because there's lots of levels of learning when you're in a group coaching session as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I have to. I want to create a boundary for myself so that I know. Okay, I, I, I don't want to stop doing one-on-one work with coaches, but I, I need to make sure I've got the space, the time, the energy to create the other work, and that is going to still be about leadership. Probably it's going to change from being having at some point in the next X months from being uh, leaders and entrepreneurs with a strong desire to change the world to something like something about honourable leadership because I'm really interested in the concept of honour and why we don't really talk about it in the modern world and what it might what it means to people and when I've practiced talking to people about it they like it especially if I say a bit more about it than what I've said but like people it, it resonates that there's something something there for people particularly around like you know honor is a lot i think about doing the right thing even when that's hard um and uh, a lot of people especially in big organizations often a lot of the, the, the leaders or the entrepreneurs that i work with you know they feel like they have to compromise who they are in order to speech marks get ahead um and the game that we're often playing as coach and client is how do we get you ahead without you having to compromise who you are um and that might be like doing the honorable thing and accepting the consequences of that which are sometimes you know it's really hard if you're operating in a in an organization essentially where no one operates with any values or any of the values that you have it's really hard and you are the muck if you operate with integrity and honesty sometimes and you have to decide uh do i want to get ahead uh or, or maybe you have to decide like as a question from fred kaufman who i talked about a little about through through waking up the workplace but whose books i find very influential like, what do I have to do so that I'm at peace with myself? So sometimes the question for people in an organization is, um, do I want to get ahead or do I want to be at peace with myself? <laughs> and that's a tricky question to answer. And, and the game becomes, can we do both?
1: Um, you do some work with Better Up Coaches or Better Up uh, the organization, Better Up better up Coaching or Better Up Coaches. It's just, just called Better Up, I think. Better Up. Um, yeah.
0: Although they are rebranding at the moment. So they've just rebranded. But I think it's still Better up,
1: Yeah. Can you, because sh- some people, when you're thinking about becoming a coach and where am I going to get my business from or not find clients, we try not to use that phrase. <laughs> um, how much has working with an external organization like that influenced your business? Uh, working with like, firms like BetterUp, like what's that experience like?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's been very helpful.
1: Like, if you think about that thing I said earlier about
0: how do you find the one thing which will get you, feed you enough clients so that you, um, have that critical mass of referrals, you know, or you can also look at it as like, what's the, how do you pay your bills while you're building your business? Because this coaching business is a business. So, you know, in other, in other places with other businesses, people would be saying like, you know, you're going to have to invest in this business. You're going to probably like not you're going to like run a loss for the first five years and then you know you've got to have the money up front to do that to make sure you get to the profitable bit and in most businesses and better are probably you know they've just had rounds of investment but like they've been in that for some of this the time that i've worked with them definitely i'm sure they have because pretty much every business does coaches most often don't think about that um which is why it's good to have a speech marks day job um for mm. some of that time although you've got to create the space for your coaching. Um, but it's been very useful i'm going to, there's like two parts of it so it's been very useful from a from an experience point of view from a practical point of view in terms of money and and number of clients um you know and i've got a, i've had a, a few relationships a bit like that over the years i really like what better up do and how they do it um and so that's why they are one of the few like again thinking about saying yes and no and hell yes hell no actually right it's the same thing yeah. it's like uh what am i which of these associate relationships are am i not a hell yes to and at some point i let some of those go um but better up i i was a hell yes to for various reasons and and so it's i've been working with them for probably four or five years now um so practically it's been really useful and i've learned loads and some of that stuff i just said about honorable leadership i wouldn't have known that in the same way if i hadn't coached with BetterUp. i'm not allowed to talk about who i've worked with at better up but you can go on their website and read some of the companies they work for mm-hmm. um you know they've been public about that people like mars and linkedin and logitech and you know big companies and as someone who doesn't have a corporate background i'm not sure when or how i would have got into those companies without that um and then the other thing um to say is like a bit like what i was saying about Taking inspiration from individuals. If you coach for another company, it's quite interesting because they'll, they'll have some frameworks which they'll ask you to work within. And that's, mm-hmm. um, that's really good, I think, for developing your craft. So, for example, BetterUp, their research seems to show that for the people they are working with as, as what they call members, which would be the clients, um, regular shorter sessions is what is most impactful, now I can't tell you the background of that research, and I don't know if it's public. But like, um, but it might be because they do publish a lot of their research. Like the um, so it's fun as a coach who mostly works for sixty minutes, ninety minutes, or inspired by Rich, like two hours. Um, it's interesting to um try working for thirty minutes with a client once a week, and you get that's a different kind of session to the, to having ninety minutes with somebody. Yeah. Um, but for your craft or development or growth that's a really useful thing to do. And, and there's various other things that are like that, that if you work f- through another company, um, y- yeah, you will learn those things. And then it's a bit like being able to listen to us talking about coaching or your other guests. It's like, when you hear how someone else does it, you get to cho- you have a choice, more, of, more choice. Cause you're like, I could do it like Robbie does it, but actually I don't want to do it like Robbie does it for these reasons. And that's awesome to know that and to choose. Uh, and so is, oh, I could do more 30 minute sessions. Um, actually, I'm going to choose not to, uh, for various reasons, but I could do that. And then you kind of, again, you have that choice, um, and you can create the coaching business or the way of working that supports you and the clients you work with, uh, the best.
1: One more quick question on it. How hard is it to become a coach for Better Up?
0: Uh, it's a really hard one for me to answer because I started quite with them quite a long time ago when they were more of a startup. Um, it's much that you know their standards
1: have increased, is what you're saying?
0: Definitely. I wouldn't get. I wouldn't like. I would now, but, but let's say so. I've been if I've been coaching for them for four years, for about three years of that, I don't think I would have been able to get through the process that they have now, um, mm. because you know they have just delivered their or we just delivered our millionth coaching session right? Their mission is about scaling coaching and and making that work. And so they've had to get to a point and, you know, they do what they say. Like I've had associate experiences where you don't really get any money. You just get put on someone's website to make their website look better. But like you don't, the clients don't come, you know, you have to do some training for free. Those kind of, you know, like it's all a bit like being taken advantage of and better up and not like that. There's a lot of integrity in that company. Um, and so, Lots, it's it's worthwhile working for them for the reason, all the reasons I've just said and so like I think they they the standards have definitely got higher you have to be accredited now I didn't I wasn't accredited when I first started working for them you have to have a certain number of hours I think um so I think it's it's definitely harder than it was when I when I started and if you're the but for the right coach it's it's absolutely worth it um and I have like again a bit like I have a ring fence around my clients who are coaches I have like I'm careful with how many better up um, people I would take on at once and I flex that mm. a bit if, if like my private business is slow or I, I'm really busy with something else I might raise it and lower it but um, I would never, I personally would never want it to be all I did that's because I like being creative in my work and, and mm. making things happen whereas I can imagine, I know that some coaches who coach for better up coach an extraordinary number of people at once um, so for all those reasons I think it is quite hard these days and I feel lucky to have snuck in near the start
1: well speaking of which i want to sneak not sneak but i want you an opportunity to to talk about the your book you have a book coming out uh tell me a little bit about that yeah yeah so (laughs) i mean like i've promised that
0: this like i i've tried i feel like i've tried everything to make sure that i would release this book i thought it would be released last two years ago actually i thought it would be released last year i have like a I have an exercise, goal setting exercise that I run for every year based on a, a story by Warren Buffett about, what, uh, you know, that he, he, where he coached, basically coached his, the pilot, the pilot of his private jet, Mike Flint. Um, you can read about that. Um, you can Google that and find it. There's a nice article by James Clear about it. I do that every year and this has been on it. And it's a saying yes and no exercise, but I'm pretty sure that this year, finally, the, the, uh, the book is going to come out. And I've kind of hinted at that. And we could probably have another conversation, another time about the, the journey that that's been on. But. Yeah, the, the way that my business is probably going to look um, when my website gets next gets refreshed is instead of it being two parts, is it's going to be three parts. So there's going to be that leadership part that I've talked about and the coaching part that I've talked about. But the other thing that I'm really interested in that, that isn't necessarily, it, 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 it feeds into both those things, but isn't necessarily included in them or isn't just them, is creativity and the particular part of that that I get really interested in because it was the wrestling match or the battle that I've had to fight is why do we sometimes really want to do something and not do it? Um, and in my wrestling with that, in the coaching that I had about five and a bit years ago, my coach at the time, Joel Monk, and I designed a writing practice which would um, beat my resistance, essentially. And the, the, I was really scared and anxious about sharing things online. Um, and the practice was... Get on the train that I got across London, which is like a 10-minute, 12-minute train ride, and um, write while I'm on the train. Stop writing when I'm not on the train. Proofread that, whatever i would written once, and post it on LinkedIn. I have posted it on LinkedIn because I thought no one read LinkedIn. Uh, and then three years in, and then, then it turned out some people did um read linkedin a few people liked or commented like a a few like two or three on maybe five or six max on on each of those first five that i did um that i but enough did it and i enjoyed it enough that i decided to make it a weekly practice and then about a couple of years into that or three years into that so two years ago i realized that like i wonder if i could publish this as a book called i wrote this book in 12 minutes because the, the train journey was basically twelve minutes, and it evolved mm-hmm. into a time of practice, mm. and I thought that was funny. And then, for various reasons, um, which we probably don't have time to go into, that evolved into like, can we? Like, is that actually the most? It's a funny way to package it, but is it actually the most um, impactful way? And in the end, we decided it's it's not. Um, and so, the, it's going to be a series of books based on the first three years of those posts, so all written in about twelve minutes or less. Um, and the series is going to start with a book that will come out hopefully before the end of 2021 called How to Start When You're Stuck, um, with a couple of little sub- subtitles to explain. And it's all about that first bit. So it's like, I really want to do the thing. Um, how am I going to actually make myself do it? And partly that, it turns out that over those three years, partly, like, so the practice of writing that I have used to write these books is to write 12 minutes a week for three years, and then it, And then divide that out. But it turns out because I was so interested in how do we win our creative battles, that that's what I'd been writing about most of the time in different ways for those, um, for those three years. So not only is the way the book is written or the books, the whole series, an invitation to people to just find the way to start something, even for just 12 minutes a week, and then keep it going over a long enough period until you've made something. Um, amazing happen but also the content of it in this one is is a selection of those three years of posts which are about how do you how and why should you start something whether it's business or a book or a new creative practice or a new habit that you want to do and all of it is applicable to coaches too because it's like it's how i built my coaching business it's like what am i going to do every week while well, i'm going to coach people that's what I'm going to do, and it turns out if you do, if you coach people every week over six and a half years, by the end of the six and a half years, um, you have coached for a lot of hours. You have a lot of experience, and you have you know a, a reasonable business.
1: It's it sounds like you're really starting with the why then, like the why Phil Goddard and your uh, one of the things I really liked from that interview you did with him was uh, he pointed him pointed us to his. I think it's episode sixty nine or something, which is his uh, five or six tips for for uh, I forget what it was even life or I think um, it was coaching, but coaching, uh, but it was they were also tips for life. I like that. So. It, it was because and and the why was a big one. Like as we as coaches, I think we have some why obviously in why we're you know we're going that direction and why we, why we decided to sign up for training mm. or. Or go go to the coach. But I think it's it's a good prompt. It's a great way to say, you know, what what is the why behind this? Did I just like the idea of not going into an office every day? Is it because I really want to help people? There's all kinds of different things. Um so I I don't think we did that enough justice to get into more details about your your book, but um I do appreciate, Robbie, the time today. And and the f- one thing about long form podcasts, which this one kind of is, I had someone say to me, kind of going off uh, in a bunch of different directions here, but someone wrote me some feedback about my podcast. They said, "Could you make them shorter so I can uh, digest them?" In, in, <laughs> yeah, and, I get that and, as well because so, mine are even longer, clock. Well, and I think if we uh, we could do more because I think you know Joe Rogan says you need at least an hour to really. F- get to know somebody at least to scratch the surface but uh my thing is no i'm not going to make them shorter i'm not going to make them 27 minutes or 48 or whatever five. it's going to be- some people run like
0: a five minute podcast for me it's see- always been clock like just,
1: like, listen in
0: chunks. What is, your, like, are you really... Is That's it really, the beauty really of a podcast. It's not, not okay to, like, to, to listen for 20 minutes today. If you want a 15-minute yeah. podcast, my two-hour one is an, is eight podcasts for you. Yes. Like, what is your, like, what's the matter with you? Just pause. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know what that is. Like, it'd be interesting to have a... Because I get that feedback as well. It'd be interesting to have a, converse, a conversation with that person and really get into it. As the coach, it's like, something interesting happening there. I wonder where else it shows up in their life that they... it's It's a bit like me in the writing practice, right? It's like... I don't have the time to do the whole of this thing in one go, so I'm not going to do it at all. And the lesson in my writing practice was like, if I can find 12 minutes a week, like that's worth it. Um, and 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 maybe
1: it's the same thing for for that, that, that person too. Yeah, I think life's all about all this information that's supposed to come to us in these bite-sized pieces. We're constantly getting bombarded with so many individual transactions. And the the point of this podcast and it sounds like yours as well is really you know, you go be up below the surface, you get into but there's still always more. So Robbie again, thanks for coming on. I hope we can get you back on at some point to uh to de- dig even deeper into some some of these topics. Um again, thanks for being such a, a an influence for me and my podcast and I really like that you shared some of the you know, the personal experiences you've had and we went into some, some really good stuff here. I, I know the show notes are going to be full of lots of book references and people references. So, uh, but thank you. Yeah, yeah that's my – so like one of the things I
0: learned about the zone of genius, right? And I've heard you talk about StrengthsFinder before, and it's got a similar feel to it. It's like how do you use your strengths is that I love sharing things. Like what I love to do is like collect ideas – and ways of thinking and then share them with people. And when I'm doing that, it tells me that I'm, I'm in the right space. And so, yeah, my conversations tend to be littered with, uh, references and books and that kind of thing. And Clark, it's been a total pleasure. Look, I'd, like I say, I've had a, had a beautiful time. The time has flown by and it'd be an absolute pleasure to come back another time. And I'm really glad that you're, you're making this podcast too. It's like there aren't enough. Like coaching is an amazingly important thing. We haven't really said that, have we? But I really believe that that's why coaching will stay a part of my work, because both the skills we develop as coaches, but also the skills that coaching invites in people who we're coaching. They're all the skills that are really needed in the bombardment of the information age with, you know, with all the, all the sort of, um, what's it called? The social dilemma stuff from that documentary mm. about how mm-hmm. we, our attention is being essentially hacked a, about all the challenges of a complex world, like all of those things and more. Everything that's happened in the last two years with the coronavirus and the stress everyone's been under, the mental health crises—like coaching helps with all of that—and it's going to be an important, important part of that. And so, to give to empower other coaches like you're doing through this podcast, that's really important work.
1: How do we get a hold of you, Robbie? If you've, what what uh, what are you willing to share in terms of? People, if they want to get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can contact me through my websites. Like, that all goes to me. I, I do have some people, a little bit of help these days. and I'm going to maybe get a bit more, but mostly it all comes through to me. So uh, for coaches, if they want all my content for coaches, that's all at thecoachesjourney.com. Um, the podcast is on all the podcast places. Um uh,
1: my <laughs> coach's journey, which I don't think we did share the name of your podcast. Yeah, yeah, the so coach's the name, journey. yeah absolutely yeah. right.
0: The name of the podcast is is the coach's journey. I actually can't remember where I came up with that name, which is a shame. Every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, that's a good name, isn't it? But um, uh, and yeah, I'm like I'm laughing about how to get hold of me because. Um, my current website is robbyswalecoaching.com, but I might change that. Like, I've been thinking about changing that. Like, you know, the best time to do it would have been five years ago. The next best time is probably now mm-hmm. um, to robbyswale.com <laughs> just for various reasons. Um, but it's a bit because it's partly cause it's a bit neater. But, but Google Robbie Swale, you get me. Um, so if people want to find me, they can do that. And you can contact me about anything that that we've spoken about um, via either of those websites. And I'm also on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. If you're going to add me on LinkedIn, I'm quite active. That's where I still post my blog. Um, if you're going to add me there, though, as a contact rather than just follow, just say that you heard me on the on the podcast because I always ask people why they're adding me. Um, and if they look like they're part of a weird coaching pyramid scheme, I sometimes don't ask. I just ignore them. Um, but so especially if your job title is like helps, helps coaches get high ticket clients, tell them, mm. tell me that I'll ignore you unless you tell me that you listen to this podcast and therefore wanted to
1: connect. All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, looking forward to uh, connecting again and good luck with your all your efforts. And uh, certainly, as I said, your podcast is is an, is an amazing resource for, for people out there. So uh, I highly encourage people to to check it out. So thanks again, Robbie connect invite create propose rather than focus on how many clients or how much money you have coming in focus on the lead indicators this is what robbie stressed and i really like that connecting with people are you meeting anyone new recently invite are you inviting people into a coaching conversation if not do it more create. Are you creating a powerful coaching experience? Those are the three things that Robbie stressed. I really liked that. As well, I liked his, is it a hell yes? When you are thinking about doing something, is it creating enough of an excitement that you're getting a hell yes feeling or response about it? The other thing I took from this conversation with Robbie was to look at, rather than having a chemistry or discovery call, to actually have a coaching conversation with somebody right off the bat. And this is something Richard Litvin is very big on. Saying no to one thing means being able to say yes to something else. It's going to take some time to build your practice and the work that you, if you can get some time working with companies like BetterUp or another third-party coaching firm, this could be helpful. As you can see, the framework, the templates that they use, I know I've said it in the episode, and I mentioned it in the beginning, how much I appreciated the fact that Robbie and his podcast influenced me and my podcast. So much good stuff. I highly encourage people to tune into Robbie's podcast. Check out Robbie's website. Lots of good stuff in there. And until the next episode of The Coach's Compass, thank you for listening.
0: Hello, Robbie here again. Just a couple more things before you head off to whatever you've got going on the rest of your day. Um, First of all, thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation that Clark and I had. And I just wanted to let you know about a few ways that you can support the Coach's Journey podcast. So first of all, like I said at the start of the show, this is a selfless act that you can do. But if you if you want to learn more about coaching from leaders in the field, you could sign up to the WBEC's free summit using the link that's available on the Coach's Journey episode page or in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. Um, so that means that you can get access to some of the leaders in the field of coaching for free. And if enough people sign up... Uh, using my link, we get a few things that I'll share with the Coaches Journey community on which more in a sec. And look, if you choose after that to join the full summit, um, then some of the money that you spend will actually go to me, not to WBEX. So if that appeals to you as well, thought I'd let you know that. So of course, some other things you can do to support the show, follow the show wherever you listen, rate it on iTunes or Spotify, that's all great. But most important, tell people if you've loved this show, if you've loved this podcast, tell someone that you think will love it too. That's the only way, really, that people find out about this podcast. If you want to go further with your support, there's two ways to do that. You can become a supporter of the podcast. That means you pay a certain amount of money every month, which comes to, goes to supporting, keeping the podcast going, helping it reach new people, um, all the kinds of things that, that go into a podcast in the background. Um, And in exchange, I'll give you a few things. You get uh, advanced notice of guests. Um, If you pay uh, at certain levels, you'll get to ask questions of future guests, all that kind of thing. And if you might be interested in that and you'd like me to be your coach, then you might be interested in joining the Coach's Journey community. So that's the most flexible, affordable way to work with me. As I said at the top of the show, I also think in some ways it's the most effective way for a coach to learn from me. Everything I can can share and coach and teach about coaching, about life as a coach, the business of coaching, all those things. And that's because there's so many levels of learning when you're on one of my group calls. Um, so again, like with being a supporter... Um, you you can do that at various different levels. And each level enables you to come to a certain number of group calls every year. And at the full membership level, um, which is limited to just a maximum of eight people, um, you get some one-on-one time with me too. So um, you might be interested in learning more about that. Now's a great time to join in June 2022 because the June call um, is able, is open to people who are at the £20 a month level. So you can sign up for £20 a month come to the call. If you don't like it, just cancel the membership. And that's absolutely fine. And I wanted to design it that way so that people can experience the the power of the group coaching call. And then if they want more of it, they can stay a member. And if they don't, that's perfect. I've had a chance to support you, which will have undoubtedly been a pleasure and a privilege. So if you want to find out more about those things, you can become a member of the community and read more about that at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. Um, you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney. And before I go, just a huge thank you to Alex McIntyre, Alex Swallow, Joey Owen, Ken Brewer, and Neil McKinnon and Ruth Saville for your ongoing support. And of course, to everyone else who's been a part of the Coaches Journey journey over the last two and a half years or so. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of the day, rest of the week, and hope to have you with us on the Coach's Journey podcast again sometime soon.